Hey, in the immortal words of Judy Brown, happiness is a choice. We're happy you're spending some time with us, Chip and Zay, on a celebration overreaction Tuesday. Because, listen, I know you Cowboys fans are hurting. I understand. I get it. I've been there. I've been there way too many times, in fact. (laughs) But... Let me say this. Dak Prescott. Damn. C.D. Lamb. I said three years ago, franchise Dak Prescott, draft your next quarterback, franchise him twice because you can, and then let him go. I thought I was hoping, Zay, you know I've been saying this. I was hoping this was going to be his Dirk Nowitzki year, circa 2011, when Dirk just went from being regular season Dirk to postseason monster, that you reach a point in your career where you're just fed up and you're ready. And you don't think about the, the circumstances anymore. You just think about getting it done. Kind of like what Nick Foles did for the Eagles uh, when he stared down Tom Brady when Brady threw for a Super Bowl record 500-plus yards. But I thought that was going to be the case, especially at home against the Packers. But Dak turned back into Dak. And when he was started forcing passes to CD and it turns into a pick six, like the first pick was a great Kind of lucky, but it was a great play by Jair Alexander. He, you know, they both lay out. He and Brandon Cooks, he comes down with the ball. Okay, all right. You're like, it's not good. But then there's clearly something going on between Dak and CD to the point where Dak is now forcing the ball to CD. And old boy was sitting on that just like OU was sitting on that double slant. Um to open the Red River shootout this past year. This time, though, it goes for a pick six, and the air came out of the building. The defense, I don't even know what to say about the defense because all we're talking about is Dak and his interceptions, but the defense, where was the defense? Micah Parsons? Did we call his name? No. Only time we called his name is when he was hurting – and, you know, holding his ribs and stuff and hobbling. And, yeah, it was a bad sight. <laughs> it was a bad sight. And, you I know, mean, you knew something was up early, Chip, when in the first quarter, like one of the first drives the Cowboys had, they showed Mike McCarthy going to CD Lamb and giving them that, like, heart-to-heart pep talk. Like one of those, hey, man. We're going to get you involved. Stay patient. Stay locked in. It's like, CD, are you already bitching? The game just started. What are you bitching about already? Why are y'all having this heart-to-heart where McCarthy's, like, holding his head and they're, you know, connecting heads, and they're like, I believe in you. Stay true. And CD's like, all right, coach, thanks. Like, what? This is the playoffs. You should be locked in. You know, I joke about that Sooner stuff all the time because it's fun, but at the end of the day, CD Lamb, that's a disgrace, man. Like, that just kind of set the tone for the rest of the team. And, yeah, Dak Prescott, 
he's just one of those guys when the bright lights come on, he's just not able to perform. And it's sad because you have three back-to-back 12-win seasons, and it's like, when are they going to push through? I mean, if you look at the quarterbacks left in the NFC from Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, you know what I'm saying? You got Brock Purdy, Jordan Love. Like, one of those four quarterbacks is going to be in the Super Bowl. That's effing nuts. That's nuts. The AFC, they got a few guys that are probably going to Canton. But in the NFC, like Dak Prescott, the time is now. And he plays the way he did because C.D. Lamb, yeah, you're right, Chip. You're now you're looking at C.D. Lamb every play. And Savage, he read that thing, pick six, 27-0. And, yeah, that building was done. It's cold as hell outside. It's about 14 degrees. It probably took twice as long to get there because you worried about the ice. Icy roads and your car swerving and this and that. And those fans had to see that. Mm. Sad day. <laughs> Sad day. And it was against my Detroit Lions that CeeDee Lamb had 13 catches for 227 yards to break all of Michael Irvin's single season records. And I saw Michael Irvin posted on social media how, <laughs> I mean, he just went off because he said, Everything we did was for the postseason. And that's when you have to show up. That's when you have to show championship form. And he said, this team doesn't have it. And you can blame the coaching. You can say the team wasn't ready. But, and and I get it. You know, other people are like, man, if Jimmy Johnson was still the coach. Okay, well, that didn't work out because Jarrah, Got his ego hurt when Jimmy didn't propose a toast to him after their second straight Super Bowl win in the hotel after that game. I mean, and Jerry's been chasing that ghost ever since. It's mind-numbing and sad. But, yeah, there's no way CD's pouting or the team plays like that if Jimmy Johnson's still the coach. But – that's what you get. With- Damn, you have Jimmy Johnson still coaching from 93 to now? <laughs> you would have fired him? You don't think he would have retired? I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> Put Bill Belichick in there. Ooh. Mm-mm. Okay, no. I mean, just in terms of playing in a playoff game the way that right. the Cowboys did. You could have right, put, right, 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 right. put a bunch of other coaches in there. Everyone's going to say, Mike McCarthy, he's terrible. Mike McCarthy. I mean, no one, no one respects the chain of command of the Dallas Cowboys because of the way that Jerry Jones runs that organization. No one respects the head coach the way they should because they know they can go to Jarrah. Yeah. CeeDee Lamb probably doesn't respect the chain of command because he knows I'm getting paid. I'm big time. Jarrah loves me. But it's always been this way, and that's what drives Cowboys fans crazy, is that the chain of command is so busted in Dallas. The players, I mean, I think they respect Dan Quinn. I thought they respected Dan Quinn. But that that defense was getting gashed on the ground. Aaron Jones looked like Earl Campbell in that game. <laughs> 
Like he's like counting four. That's four touchdowns, kids. I mean, and he's got some crazy average against the Cowboys. Oh, it's Aaron nuts. Jones. He loves playing. He's from El Paso. He loves playing in the state of Texas. Yeah. In four games, he has like 460 something yards total and nine touchdowns. Yeah. And the the Packers are six and zero in AT&T Stadium. Like they own that stadium. That's what I'm trying to say. It's something about that golden green. It just doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. Jordan Love, now all Packer fans was like, hmm, maybe letting go of Aaron Rodgers was a good idea. Because that dude, 16 for 21, putting it on the money anywhere he went. Romeo Dobbs, they had him looking like Chris Carter out there. He broke off Stephon Gilmore on the most basic move possible. And it was he was probably 15 yards open. He did whatever he wanted. And, again, you're so worried about that running game. You look at some of the film out there. Like, Dan Quinn has four in the box, while Green Bay's in this heavy personnel with, like, three tight ends, and they're just moving the ball down the field. And it was too easy. Like, nobody came to play. Nobody. It was really sad. Like, I like making fun of the Cowboys because I never have a dog in the fight. But I still want to see – I don't like seeing people fail – that get so far. I know how hard these guys work and you're right. It's just kind of the curse of Jerry Jones, man. You know, his pride has gotten in the way of so many different things. He's on radio every single week talking about his team, Mike McCarthy, just like you said, like he has no backbone, zero. Jason Garrett had no backbone. You know, Bill Parcells had backbone and he got rid of his ass. One of the yeah. guys, Hall of Famer in Canton, won Super Bowls back with the Giants, Lawrence Taylor era, one of the best. You had one of the best there, and you had conflict with him because he was like, yo, can you let me run my team, Jerry? And Jerry was like, nah, I can't do it. You know, I can't, got this Johnny Walker Blues hitting me right. I can't do it. I am going to get love for this next championship win. Well, Jimmy messed up everything. I'm going to get love. And it's like, dude, can you just you'll get your money. You don't have to get all the success, bro. Let your coach get that shine, too. He don't get it. He just doesn't get it. And I thought this was the year. I really did. I I thought this was the year. I I did, too. I thought the Cowboys, especially after they got the freaky win over Detroit with the weird, you know, lineman didn't report. I'm like, okay, this. This has got to be the Cowboys year because that flipped home field advantage through the, you know, until they had to play the NFC championship game. And, and then that, and then that, like, it's unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable to me that with everything going on, best home, you know, undefeated at home, monsters at home. You're like, what on earth is wrong with you people? Like, do you not understand it's bigger than you? Do you not understand you're playing for stuff that's bigger than you? Like, I don't know what that beef was going on between CD and Dak. But whatever it was, whoever's fault it was, I'm I'm so pissed. I'm probably not cutting CD Lamb. But I'm getting close to cutting Dak. I like I said, I've said I've been on the record. If anyone who's listened to me on the radio for the last five, six years knows I was not a Dak believer. Love, think he's a good guy, think he's a good quarterback, but he's not, 
he wasn't $45 million a year good, and he sure as hell not $60 million a year good going into the final year of his contract. But the Cowboys have been so bad about drafting quarterbacks and developing. That's one thing I'll say about Bill Belichick in New England. He was always drafting young quarterbacks to develop behind Brady, and you see it paid off. Matt Castle went on and played on. You know, didn't work so well for the Ryan Mallett, but Jimmy G got paid. I mean, you got to keep drafting quarterbacks. Look at Green Bay, Jordan Love. Jordan Love sitting on the bench. Everyone's like, well, what a waste of pick. That was a terrible pick. Jordan Love, Jordan Love looked like he was, he, he was like, oh, yeah, this. <laughs> like, he, he, yeah, this is the playoffs. Like, he, he was just so not a lot. Like, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to the, we're going to the bowl. We're going to Vegas. I'm like, damn. Yeah. Now, I mean, thank God Green Bay's going out to play San Francisco and the Lions get the Bucks. <laughs> yeah, you'll take that, don't you? I'll take that. Yeah, you'll take that. Yeah, because he, he got a sooner game coming. He got one coming. He looked good, though, last night. He I did. came in the front. Which the Eagles, I know Cowboys fans, I'll make them feel a little bit better with what they, the Eagles, the performance they put on. I mean, you start off 10 and 1, and then you look like that to end the season. And Jalen Hurts, they completely written him off sooner stuff. Like now he's getting Russell Wilson treatment. Like they're talking about his character, you know, all that motivational, inspirational shit that he'd be saying in the pressers and stuff that was cool last year because he got to the Super Bowl. Now people can't stand it. Eagles fans can't stand that stuff. They turn on you in a heartbeat. And he had his issues. Old uh, Goddard, that dude was saying stuff to Jalen Hurts on the bench yesterday. Like A.J. Brown. Even though he didn't play, he's been saying stuff these last few weeks. Like, they've had some serious conflict in Philadelphia. And Jalen Hurts, if he has one more bad season, then they're probably going to ship him off. Like, Nick Sirianni, I think he's he's going to get a second chance. But, you know, obviously not having Jalen Brown – I mean, A.J. Brown, that hurts. So, I – that was sad. 32 points. You only put up nine. That, that was sad, too, because they weren't tackling nobody. James Bradbury was getting exposed. You know, they Baker Mayfield did whatever he wanted. And, yeah, that's I think y'all, y'all are in a good position. <laughs> y'all in a real good position. Even though, did y'all get blown out by them when they wore the creamsicles? No, no. Or y'all won that game. Yeah, that was the game I was at. That was the game you were at. Okay. They won 20 to 6 okay, in that game. So they did the beating. Okay, so yeah, they feeling good. In in Tampa. Yeah, yeah. Now they get them at Ford Field. And man, I'm I know no one cares about the Lions, but I just as a long-suffering fan, 30 years, which is almost where we are with the with the Cowboys and I mean, I don't want to bring this up, but bring the up. Lions' last playoff win was against the Cowboys mm. um, at the end of the 91 season. And so it's it's amazing. Um, both of these teams have been off in the desert 
But the cool thing about the Lions is they're connected. That's the thing that I couldn't believe from the Cowboys. Like, what reason do you have not to be connected? Like, the Eagles did stupid shit, like fire their defensive coordinator or strip their defensive coordinator of play calling and in December. And, like, what are you doing? Like, that that alone might be worth fight, you know, firing Nick Soriani. But this the, – the Lions team is connected. Jared Goff handled it. He handled the pressure of having all that scrutiny on him. Matt Stafford coming back. Matt Stafford with a Super Bowl ring. And the Rams' hottest team. They, and the Rams played good. Yeah. Like Matt Stafford was throwing no look passes to Puka Nakua. And I'm going, I I was like, I was pacing. I was that game. (laughs) Oh, that, thank God we had one good game of the playoffs. But yeah, I'm, I'm just in, I'm amazed at the Cowboys and like inventing ways to screw stuff up. That I, I'm a, I imagine we're going to get the real story here sooner or later, whatever was going on between Dak and CD, but whatever it was, it's unforgivable. Like if CD lamb was pouting and being a B, then it's unforgivable. Well, they were in this head early. They were in this head early when Alexander, he pushed the hell out of him on a play where CD wasn't even involved. The play was on the complete right side, and it was Alexander and CD on the left side of the sideline, and it was right before the whistle was blown, and Alexander pushed the hell out of the dude. Then it was like, oh, man, the Packers, they setting the tone early of just being nasty, old-school playoff football, and the Cowboys, they weren't ready for it. They weren't. Well. Let's let's get our man Chris Hummer's thoughts on this. Chris Hummer, national college football writer extraordinaire, 24-7 sports. Um, Hummer, hope you're staying warm. Looks like you are. Um, yeah, I like that 24-7 sports beanie, though. That's fire. Yeah, uh, man. Pull, pull whatever you can get out of the back of the closet when it's like 30 degrees. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Hummer, before we get to all the college football moves, offseason, football season never ends, uh, your thoughts on the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know if you were able to watch that, how long you watched it, but the Green Bay Packers pile-driving the Cowboys. Your thoughts. I didn't realize this was going to be like a therapy session for me. Oh, I like, appreciate you bringing me on and talk about this. Absolutely. Just been throwing out theories to my friends the last couple of days. It was it was a tough watch, first of all. Yeah, I watched to the bitter end. Um, I don't know what I was hoping for there. Maybe a couple of touchdowns, a couple of two-point conversions. Uh, Mike McCarthy electing to kick an f- uh, extra point instead of going for two. Uh, and that situation in the fourth quarter, I think, exemplifies everything about Mike McCarthy. Didn't make any mathematical sense. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to call for anybody's job. That seems tacky, but... Um, this was the most important job game of the year for Dallas, and um, they played arguably their worst game of the year. So I think that tells you everything you need to know about how that game and um, how this team was prepared. So it was unfortunate. I really thought this was a year Dallas could win a Super Bowl. Yeah, this was it. Yeah, this was it. They had it. I mean, look at those receivers. I mean, Brandon Cooks, CeeDee Lamb. 
Jason Ferguson. You got dudes. You got Tony Pollard. Healthy. Well, Amazing. Not just, healthy. not just that. Like You got to pay these dudes soon. CD is about to yeah. get a massive contract. Michael Parsons is about to get a massive contract. That's, Dak's contract's up in a year, and he's got a $60 million cap hit, so they're going to have to restructure that. Like This was the window. This was the year, um, and didn't didn't make it work. Meanwhile, the Texans, unbelievable. Zay and I both picked the Texans, and they housed Cleveland. C.J. Stroud looks like he's having the time of his life. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that, by the way, um, based on the conversation this time a year ago? But, I mean, it's the beauty of having a rookie NFL quarterback, man. Like, C.J. is making, like, $12 million a year. Dak's making 40. He's about to make 50 or 60. Like you can do a lot with a rookie of that quality, and uh, it's it's where the Texans are, and it's got to be a lot of fun to be a Texans fan right now. I am I am unfortunately not a Texans fan, and uh, it's been a rough couple of days. But hey, at least um, at least everybody that roots for the Cowboys, I'm sure a lot of people here do, uh, can just laugh at the misery of the uh, Eagles for a little bit. See, told you, Chip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had Eagles fans in my life like talking a lot of smack on Sunday. Like they felt good. And then they got blown out by Baker Mayfield and the bucks. So, mm. you know, we can all, we can all enjoy each other's misery. Well, here's a, uh, here's a little something. You have to hold that a little closer. <laughs> what? <laughs> what do I, see? I see Dak and I see who is down the road. Tony Romo. Yeah. Oh, Nick Bowles has more playoff wins than those guys. Ah. No, actually, don't don't that sell it that hard today. They have, it's the same amount of playoff. The same amount? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 No, I'm amount. just trying to bring it back to Austin, you know, Westlake. Well, I mean, Baker going in the next round. Nick Foles just uh, – Nick Foles outplaying Tony Romo and Dak Prescott, which sums up my Cowboys fandom. Um, yeah. Hummer. That's good. Did you hear that the cognitive test scores from CJ Stroud were maybe a reason why the Panthers passed on him? Like they replaced I, the Wonderlick with that other cognitive test, and he scored like 18 out of 100. CJ Stroud, I'm talking about. And thank God the Texans did their homework. Yeah. I mean, I won't pretend to have like insider Texans information. I cover college football, but um, I have had people that I know in the league and around the league make fun of that test uh, based on what CJ Stroud has done. Um, I don't think teams are going to put as much into that as maybe that the people who created that test would think um, in the future. Um, but if you talk to people around Ohio state about CJ, um, he was always really well respected uh, for his football acumen and the way he thought about the game. And I am a little surprised to see him playing this well. Um, I thought he was a player who was very, very good in college, but was in part lifted up by the talent around him. I mean, he played in front of an offensive line with like four NFL players. He played with four first round picks at receiver, essentially um, a couple of elite running backs, but um, it turns out like he was just as good as the rest of them. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see. I would not have a, uh, I would not have guessed C.J. Stroud out of this rookie class would have been the guy that looks like the best rookie in the NFL in a long time. Yeah. Hey, Hummer, is there anybody coming into this year's draft at the quarterback position that is coming from the, you know, G5 ranks that could maybe be a Josh Allen or even a Jordan Love? Um, I would have to look. Um, it's not the strongest 
G5 quarterback class off the top of my head, but let me uh let me bad bad radio, I'm sure. But let, let me look. <laughs> oh, um, what me. we're seeing here yeah, is a lot of the here. Yeah, what we're seeing here, I think, is a lot of the top G5 quarterbacks end up transferring anyway. Mm. Um, so there's not a lot of those guys left on the G5 level. Um, I think if I'm trying to think of who is available, Michael Pratt would probably be the top G5 quarterback option. Tulane. Um, yeah, from Tulane. He's somebody that I think could be a day two draft pick, maybe round three, early round four. Um, he's somebody that a lot of teams were interested in as a transfer at multiple point in time. Um, I personally really like Austin Reed um, at Western Kentucky. He's a lot like Bailey Zappi. Um, has been really good for them. He won't get drafted. Like his measurables aren't there, but I like his game. But yeah, it's not it's not the uh, it's not the best G five quarterback draft. I think the UTEP quarterback uh, Gavin Hardson is probably on the radar for some teams. He was coming into the year. Um, he's certainly somebody that um, has some NFL arm talent, but I don't think you're going to see like a Jordan Love, for example, as a first round yeah. pick from the G five this year. There's just not that level of quarterback. Yeah. Hummer, um, Quinn Ewers, not a shock, announces he's returning to Texas. J.J. McCarthy of Michigan announces he's entering the draft. Um, your thoughts on those decisions? Obviously, Texas and Michigan will square off September 7th in Ann Arbor. Yeah, first, um, like, I don't – Texas, that national championship, the game against the national champions is going to – I wouldn't say easy. It's not easy to go on the road and play in Ann Arbor, but that sets up really well for Texas. I'll tell you that. Like, you could beat the defending national champions, and that team probably could, depending on what Jim Harbaugh does and the rest of this roster, like, I could be an eight and four team next year just based on what's coming back because they're going to have to figure out their quarterback situation, um, which will be interesting in the spring, which is when I would, ad- I would expect them to address that. Um, as for JJ McCarthy and Quinn, um, Quinn, I think, made the right decision. Like, he's, I don't know who else you would project as the number one pick next year, if not Quinn Ewers, maybe Carson Beck. Um, this is a pretty deep draft class at the top. And if Quinn plays well, he's going to be a top five pick, make a ton of money. Not that he isn't making a ton of money at Texas this upcoming season. Um, the uh, salary cap in that QB room is pretty significant. Um, and then JJ, I've talked to scouts that wonder how ready JJ is, but he's also not in a system that always accents a quarterback strengths. Um, Michigan plays a very different style than everybody else. And I think a lot of scouts still view JJ as maybe a mid to late first round pick, maybe slight early in the second. And if you're coming off a national championship, you did everything you set out to accomplish at Michigan. He played three seasons. He was a starter for three seasons. He went to the college football playoff three times, won a national championship, won a trio of big 10 championships, beat Ohio state three times. Like, what more can you really do in your Michigan career? He's probably the best quarterback in Michigan history. You might as well start go to the league and start getting paid. Yeah. Hummer, Isaiah Bond on this way to Texas. Well, I mean, play. in terms of like the players who actually played significant. Right. Sorry, uh, I didn't right. mean to tell you that. No, you're good. Yeah, you're good. Our bench, Tom Brady. Yeah. yeah. Hummer, Isaiah Bond going to Texas. Big time get for Steve Sarkeesian and crew. Obviously, with Kalen DeBoer moving in for Saban, guys are going to make that move. And Sark is definitely going to jump on even more guys, I could expect. But what does Isaiah Bond add into that wide receiver core mean? 
Uh, I mean, this time last year, Texas got A.D. Mitchell from Georgia, uh, the defending SEC champions. And this year they get Isaiah Bond from Alabama, the defending SEC champions. Um, I, I don't know if there was any contact in the portal ahead of time because that's illegal. But Texas sure seemed like it was in pretty good position right away to capitalize on Isaiah Bond. And he's a really good fit for what Texas wants to do. Um, it's hard to say a one-to-one comparison for somebody, but he's going to be used in a very similar way to Xavier Worthy. Um, a lot of Alabama's best plays this year were designed to get Isaiah Bond the ball in space and then let him make something happen after the catch. Part of that's um, some of Jalen Milrow's limitations as a passer, but part of that's Isaiah Bond's skill set. And uh, I think Texas fans really didn't always work out from a deep ball connection standpoint, but Xavier Worthy was one of the fastest players in college football. And if you look at Isaiah John Bond's track times, he's actually a little faster. Isaiah Bond, I think, ran like a 10-4-8 in high school. Xavier Worthy's best was like a 10-5-4. So this is a guy who could stretch the field vertically. He could play in the slot. He can play outside just like Xavier Worthy. And I anticipate Texas will use him in a very similar way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's, uh, this guy. I mean, everyone wants to play in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. Every skill player wants to play in that offense. And when there's, you know – for A.D. Mitchell, you had, you had Stetson Bennett moving on. You had Todd Monken moving on. And he ends up getting exactly what he wanted. Now you got Isaiah Bond leaving after he made one of the biggest catches in Alabama football history to beat Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Um, unbelievable. Grave, um, digger. Grave digger was the play call. Yeah. There, which is great. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, what did you make of Bo Davis leaving? Go to LSU. A, a little surprised, but not shocked, obviously, um, given that Bo is a LSU alumnus. Like, that's home for him. Um, LSU has made a very, very aggressive push this offseason to revitalize that defense. It was one of the worst in college football this season. You could argue that defense cost LSU a chance at a national title. Had they even been average this year, I think they would have had a chance to beat Alabama and Georgia. Um, so I, I think it's a move that makes a lot of sense for Bo Davis. He gets paid more money. I think he's in the, uh, I think he's like around one, three or one, four per year. Uh, he was around one at Texas. Um, so a pretty significant pay raise for him. Uh, he gets to go home. Um, obviously I'm sure Texas fans are pretty disappointed. Um, he's one of the best defensive line coaches in the country. Did a really nice job, obviously with, um, guys like Byron Murphy and Devondre Sweat, but, um, Sometimes in big boy football, and Texas is definitely in the midst of big boy football again, you're going to lose assistance. Um, and Bo Davis being an LSU alumnus, I think, really pushed that one over the top. Yeah, the one curious thing I was told was that Dominic McKinley had interest in Texas, and I was told Bo Davis told Sarkeesian to pass because he didn't like the kid's motor. And now the kid is committed to LSU. So we'll have to- I have not personally heard that, but I mean, you never know. It wouldn't shock me. Um, it wouldn't shock me in college football, but McKinley, uh, McKinley committed to LSU. And what was that right after, right after January 1st? So yeah, I could see the time you're working out there. Yeah. What, um, uh, oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Hummer Washington found their head coach. Do you think this was a good hire for the Huskies getting old boy from Arizona? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Jed Fish is a really good coach. If you look at what he did at Arizona the past two seasons, he took over a program that was in really rough shape and um, with strong NIL, strong recruiting, strong coaching, um, turned that program around rather quickly. Um, obviously, Washington is a better job than Arizona. There's no question about that. But it is interesting timing for Jed Fish. I think Arizona would have been the prohibitive favorite going into the Big 12 this year if not a co-favorite along with maybe Utah and Kansas, that roster was loaded and uh, he's leaving a really good situation for a situation that I think is going to be a bit of a rebuild. So from that perspective, it's surprising, but I think they bought, they certainly found a really good football coach. Um, You can't deny what he's done in Arizona. And uh, I think it was a really um, smart hire um, by Washington to move on. I've had a couple of agents tell me, if Dan Lanning or Kalen DeBoer ever left Oregon or Washington, Jed Fish would be their first call. Um, and that is indeed what happened at Washington. I know Lance Leipold was also in that mix, but Jed Fish is somebody with West Coast ties that I think will be very successful there. Yeah, Noah Fafita. we got to wait and see where he, when the transfer portal, well, he can actually get into the transfer portal now, right? What's the rule if there's a coaching change, you get, what, 15 or 30 days? 30, 30 full days. So they've got another, what? I, I don't know. Let's see. When did, <laughs> when did Jedfish get hired? Two days ago, yesterday? Nah. It's, been a, it's been a run. They got like another 28 days to make a decision. Yeah. So this is, unfortunately for my life, unfortunately for everybody that follows college football, this is going to stretch like well past Valentine's Day for all this transfer portal stuff this cycle. Yeah. Chris Hummer, um, for those of you who are just tuning in, is uh, one of our portal like gurus at 24 seven sports. He's actually the portal guru. I don't want to put it all on him, um, but does an amazing job. And, and now you've got Brent Brennan um, coming into Arizona and there's murmurs that he's trying to get Johnny Nansen to come back as defensive coordinator might be offering Dwayne Aquina, a position coaching job on that staff. Um, would that make sense for Johnny Nansen to, to go to the big 12 as opposed to Texas and the sec? I mean, I guess it just depends on what the dollar sign at the end of that, uh, at the end of that, um, contracts looks like, um, obviously on paper, I think Texas is a slightly better job, but he's not going to call plays at Texas. Um, and he will potentially call plays at Arizona if he's given that job. Um, you know, can't really add more titles to his title. I mean, he was already the defensive coordinator. I guess you could be defensive coordinator slash associate head coach. Um, but it depends on what Johnny Nansen wants to do. For Arizona, it makes all the sense in the world. Like, their best chance of keeping their roster intact is getting Jonathan Nansen to come back. And if I was them, I'd throw as much as at him as I possibly could. Um, but in terms of leaving Texas, that's ultimately what Johnny Nansen wants. Um I think, as we've seen with Jeff Cho, your best path to a possible head coaching job. I mean, it's not like Jeff Cho wasn't a head coach before this. Um, a very successful one at that. But you can leave a place like Texas as a coordinator and become a head coach um, right away. Um, you don't usually have that path at a place like Arizona. So it just depends on what Johnny Nansen wants to prioritize and um, how he wants to view his path in the coaching industry. But um, I can, I think both places make a ton of sense for him. Um, but if I'm trying to be a head coach, I'll probably stay at Texas. But if I want to get paid a boatload of money, 
and help Arizona's roster stay intact, then he might have a vested interest in that and go to Arizona. Yeah. Hummer, uh, Kalen DeBoer, seems like he's going to get Ryan Grubb from Washington to come with him to Alabama because Ryan Grubb turned down that Washington job, it seemed like. And it seems like Jalen Milrow is going to stick around to see it through with Kalen DeBoer. Do you think that's the right decision? And you think with Ryan Grubb coming in town, all of that's going to fit and work? Um, I mean, I'll be, I'll be curious. I think Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer are going to have to adjust their offense quite a bit for Jalen Milrow. Um, obviously what you ran with Michael Penix this year wouldn't work quite as well. Um, with Jalen Milrow is some passing limitations, but I mean, Jalen's obviously a winning quarterback. Part of that's the context that was around him at Alabama and all the successful players that are there. But part of it's because he willed Alabama in a lot of moments this year, uh, victories, a lot like Jalen Hurts did early in his career. Um, I, If I was Kalen DeBoer, I might think about potential other options in the portal if they are there. But um, it's hard to it's hard to get rid of a top five Heisman finalist like that. And for Jalen Milrow, it's hard to find a place where you have a better situation than learning under Kalen DeBoer. If I was Jalen, I would not go anywhere. I would want to stay in that system. I would want to play in that system, and I want to would imp- want to improve with an eye towards the NFL. The question is um, how Ryan Drub and uh, Kalen DeBoer fit that offense around them. Yeah, and Texas Maid's asking about Freddie Roach. Um, it sounds like Freddie Roach might be staying at Alabama. The defensive line coach for the Crimson Tide. Is that what you're hearing? Hummer? That is that has been a point of conversation, yes. Um, I think I know they've lost Tavares Robinson in Georgia, but I think Kalen DeBoer knows that if he wants to keep that defensive roster intact, um, keeping somebody like Freddie Roach is a pretty big priority. And obviously Freddie Roach has been very successful um as a defensive line coach at Alabama for years. And I think that would be a very smart hire by Kalen DeBoer if he could keep him around. Um, obviously, Freddie Roach is going to have interest from other parties, but right now it does seem to be trending that way. And you think Harbaugh will ultimately leave for the NFL? Uh, I I won't even pretend to know one way or the other uh, which way Jim Harbaugh's uh, going to lean there. I think right now, um, if you just read the tea leaves, I think it's I would peg it as like maybe slightly more trending to come back than to leave. Um, obviously interviewed with the chargers, but the Raiders job sounds like it's basically off the table with Antonio Pierce um, there. That was his big connection. And I don't see any other job besides really the chargers being a fit. And maybe he does take the San Diego job, San Diego job, or I'm sorry, Los Angeles job now. Um, sorry. I got San Diego in the brain. Jim Harbaugh <laughs> used to coach there, obviously at the university and this uh, program also used to be there, but uh yeah, um, but anybody who's telling you they know what Jim Harwell is going to do at this point is lying to you. Um, Jim Harwell is an interesting guy. Um, they're still actively having negotiations with him on a contract as well. Um, he's interviewing and also negotiating with Michigan, uh, or at least his agent is daily. So it's it's really tough to read, but I think I lean slightly more towards him staying than going, at least at this point in time. Uh, former Washington corner Jabbar Muhammad has entered the transfer portal. And as we all know, he's cousins with Malik Muhammad. So you would think Texas has, you know, a little bit of thing there. But also, why wouldn't he not go with Kalen DeBoer to Alabama? 
Have you heard anything about Jabbar Muhammad and what he's doing right now? Well, I mean, our guy, Mike Roach, uh, talked to Jabbar the other day. So you take it from the horse's mouth. I know Texas did an in-home with him. Oregon did an in-home. And I know both programs are going to be very aggressive in their pursuit of Jabbar. Um, and I think other schools like Miami and USC would certainly like to make a run at him. And I know Alabama would like to have him as well. So um, those are the schools kind of in the mix. I think Texas makes all the sense in the world, given his familial connections to Texas. And it's not just his cousin. Um, he knows several people on this roster. Um, from that perspective, it would be an excellent fit for Texas. And I, it would be interesting if they could land Jabbar, because if Texas lands Jabbar and Isaiah Bond and maybe a former Alabama tight end as well. Like Texas is benefiting more from Nick Saban retiring than almost anybody else. It feels like, so it'll be interesting to see if um, Texas can close that one. Cause Jabbar proved in the playoffs. He's obviously like a national championship caliber corner. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right. Uh, Hummer, what, uh, what else is at the top of your notebook right now? Uh, just transfer portal coaching news. Um, a lot of it going on. Um, curious who San Jose State and um, South Alabama choose to hire. I think it's probably a little easier for San Jose State. They have a ready-made replacement um, on their staff. South Alabama will be a little interesting. I'll be curious if Major Applewhite, a name we're all familiar with, who's their offensive coordinator, gets a long look there. Major Applewhite was interviewing for head coaching jobs this offseason. He turned down ULM from what I understand. So maybe Major Applewhite's back in our lives as a head coach here soon. Um, so yeah. following that post-transfers. Yeah. Kane Womack. What a what a move. He and uh, Kalen DeBoer were together at Indiana. And... Yep, yep. Very good friends. Um, pretty sure... Kalen DeBoer had Kane Womack out as a guest during the Sugar Bowl. Um, they're very close. And it's an interesting place we are in college football where um, the D.C. job at um, Alabama is more desirable um, than South Alabama, um, a program that literally won the Sun Belt in 2022 uh, with Kane Womack as the head coach. Um, I think it shows uh, the separation in the sport because like you work your entire career to get a head coaching opportunity. Kane Womack had that. He won a conference championship and now he set it to Alabama to be the defensive coordinator. And uh, I think says a lot about the haves and the haves not of the sport. Yeah. yeah. And you wonder if some of that is because the Sunbelt coaches who've been elevated, you know, Billy Napier, I don't know. Um, it hasn't worked out as well. You know, everyone tends to copycat when something's working. But I think Kane Womack's good. And and look, if he does a great job at Alabama, he'll get a head coaching, um, another head coaching offer, probably at a much higher place. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah it's, that's, it's, it's tough, like, to jump from the Sun Belt. I mean – we saw it this year. John Summerall um, at Troy was one of the best head coaches in the Sun Belt the last two seasons, one of the best young coaches in college football. And he lost out on several jobs that he was in the mix for on the Power Five level and ended up at Tulane. Um, so it's a, uh, it's that's why I really think if you're somebody like uh, Jeff Taylor and the American, or I think of like Seth Luttrell. Um, Seth Luttrell was at UNT. Um, he had the opportunity to be Kansas State's head coach. Um, I believe the cycle they hired Chris Kleinman. They went to Seth Luttrell first, and he turned down the job. And 
Now, I mean, Seth Luttrell, it's worked out okay for him. He's the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, but I'd rather be the head coach at K-State than the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, you know what I mean? So when the iron's hot, you got you to gotta strike. And sometimes even if the iron's hot, you're not going to get these jobs because there's so few of them. So uh, Kane Womack, I guess, is trying to give himself the best chance possible to get one of them. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Homer, USC is not coming into the Big Ten with any momentum like we thought they were under Lincoln Riley. And we knew Caleb Williams was going to enter the draft. He just declared not too long ago they lose their top recruit quarterback into the transfer portal. Like, what's going on with Southern Boise. Cal right now? Yeah, for all schools. Boise. Like, come now on, man. Leaves USC now. for Boise? Mm. Well, I would say I don't think Malachi Nelson was going to be the answer at USC um, in the future, just based on the feedback. Um, I don't. That's a bad loss on paper, but not necessarily a bad loss um, when you consider the full reality of it. So that that's a bad headline. It's not necessarily a bad result. Um, but yeah, USC definitely lacks momentum right now. Um, I think this is the most adverse wins Lincoln Riley's ever faced. Um, he does not have a ready-made quarterback on that roster um, at this point to take over for Caleb Williams. And we're so used to Lincoln Riley just transitioning from one Heisman winner to another at quarterback. Um, he still hasn't figured out a way to fix that defense, although there is some, I think, some legitimate moment- momentum um, with the new defensive coordinator they hired and the staff they've put together. That unit should get better uh, now that they're moving on from Alex Grinch. But, yeah, it's going to be – USC's roster is not where you would expect USC's roster to be going into the Big Ten. I'd much rather be Oregon going into the Big Ten of the four Pac-12 schools coming in. So um, it'll be something to track. And yeah, I always, I don't think it's going to be this cycle. I don't think Lincoln Riley is drawing that kind of interest this cycle. But if this goes on for another year or two and he can't um, create the momentum he'd like, I wonder if Lincoln ever takes an NFL flyer. Yeah. All right, Hummer. We'll let you go on this. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl? No, not Dallas. Who cares? Um, I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, probably the, I mean, I'm going to go chalk 49ers and Ravens. The Ravens are the best team I've seen this year. And um, I think if everybody's healthy for the 49ers and Brock Purdy takes care of the ball, um, they're going to be very difficult to beat in the NFC, especially when you consider how banged up the Lions are um, and Tampa Bay, uh, which is hot right now, but it's still Tampa Bay. So I, I do like I do like where the 49ers and Ravens sit and all of this. Don't count those Houston Texans out, Hummer. Makes Play sense. off Lamar. Play off Lamar's a thing until I see something different. I don't know. Them Texans, they rolling. Nothing to lose. You know that's a scary thing when you got nothing to lose. Lamar has everything thing. to lose. But I do enjoy – I have a lot of Texas fans in my life, and I do enjoy this playoff Lamar. Um conversation because I, I think Texas fans are going to get to see a different kind of playoff Lamar uh, this yeah. weekend. Hey, Hummer, you're the best. Stay warm and uh, let's uh, let's do it again next week. Absolutely. Thanks so much. All right. All right. Out, Appreciate you. Chris Hummer. Football season never ends here on Chip and Zay. You know that. Um, how about a quick word about uh, Apple leasing? Getting into a new car in 2024 has never been easier. And I say that because Apple Leasing, you pick any maker model of car. You're not just picking one making model. You Whatever you want, they're going to go get it for you. And you're not paying for the future trade-in value of that car when you're leasing from Apple Leasing. You're only paying for the car while you're driving it. 
So you're getting into a better car than you thought you could afford, and it's brand new. You're picking everything, interior, exterior, new car smell. Um, what a way to start the year. And so whether you want to keep your payments in the $400 range or get a Range Rover, Apple Leasing is going to take care of you. And here's the thing. If you lease from a dealership, you are locked in to that make and model of car. You lease from Apple Leasing, you want to change make and model of car two, three years into the lease, no problem. The easy lease. Everything about Apple Leasing is easy. Take it from me. I've been an Apple Leasing client for 15 years. Wouldn't do it any other way. You're going to be in traffic in places like Austin, Texas. So you need to love the car you're in. Some of you are driving around in a beater you can't stand. It's no way to go through life. No way. Apple Leasing, 346-9977 or visit AppleLeasing.com. Um, Zay, the uh, NFL playoffs, obviously the, the, the story of the day. Um, you and I both picked the Texans. Yeah. And they yeah. handled business. And I could not, I was not going to pick Joe Flacco against that Texans defense. And that's the thing. I mean, we're talking about CJ Stroud and he's doing it without Tank Dell. He's doing it with Nico Collins, former Michigan Wolverine. And Nico Collins looks like that's the way CD Lamb should have been playing. Nico Collins is a grown man. He Nico was like, on, tough. he's he got angry runs. He's putting, he's like stiff arming defenders into the dirt. I love this Texans team. I love watching them play. Even though they benched my man, Damian Pierce, and my fantasy team sucked because of it. Um, <laughs> Look, they're, they, they, love each other. You can tell they love taking the field together. They're, they're having fun. And I'm not, I'm not counting out the Texans. Are you? Oh, hell no. Good. They have nothing to lose. They're not supposed to be here. There's a certain, like what we saw with the Cowboys is the exact opposite of what we see with the Texans. The Cowboys, you get tight because you know the history and you know what's happened the last three seasons after you won 12 games. So you got Dak Prescott nervous, rattled, you know, biting fingernails on the sideline. You don't want that. While with Houston, you got C.J. Stroud getting paid $12 million, barely anything, rookie year, happy to be there. Every Miko Ryan's happy to be there first year. So everybody's playing freely. Everybody's playing loose. And they're going to bring that energy to Baltimore because Baltimore is going to be in a situation as Dallas. Everybody's expecting them to win. Vegas has them winning. They're number one and not only in the conference, but in the NFL. Lamar Jackson's probably going to get MVP, but playoff Lamar's a thing. The dude has had like three weeks to chill. They sat on week 18, you have the bye week, and now you're going to play this weekend. So they can come out a little rusty while the Texans, they're clicking on all cylinders. And again, with Tank Dell out for the season, Noah Brown out for the season, and to do what C.J. Stroud's doing at 22 years old, the youngest quarterback ever to win a playoff game, 
that's pretty impressive, man. It's pretty impressive, man. Yeah. They're fun to watch. And you're right. They just have a joy. And it comes from their coach. It comes from their quarterback. Like, yo, at the end of the day, fellas, we're getting paid millions. And this is our livelihood. But this is a kid's game. Let's go have fun. Let's go play hard. And let's see where the dominoes fall. And that's what they've done all season long. And now they have a chance to shock the world. Tell you what, man. You got uh... – um, Devin Singletary, guys playing like a man possessed. Yeah. And he was a third round pick. Yeah. I know um, Dalton Schultz feels good. Oh, I know he feels good. Cause they they just let him go. They said, yeah. which was the right decision. That was a good move by Jerry and Steven to let him go and not pay him that money that he was owed. And Jake Ferguson is maybe a little bit better, but okay, y'all let me go. Now our team is moving on and y'all ain't. Mm. And back to the Cowboys, you know what they need to bring back, Chip? They need to bring back the White House. That's when you were winning. We heard Stretch come on the show and talk about when he was at training camp in the ATX and he peeked in that limousine with Michael Irvin and them boys and saw none but topless women. That's when you were winning. I get it. Some people might frown upon it, but hey, Michael Irvin in the Hall of Fame. You can do both. You can do both. Just don't get too crazy right you know what i'm saying <laughs> so I, I don't know let's bring back the hoes the strippers the cocaine the white house bring it all back because that's when you were rolling you know what i'm saying now nah, social hey, media is around so folks are scared i get it but mm. Gerald loved that <laughs> Gerald loved that his team was winning super bowls while having the time of their lives Ooh. and Jarrah started drafting knuckleheads like <laughs> drafted this dude Derek Ross a cornerback when I was covering the team Derek Ross drove a car through a storefront in Columbus when he was at Ohio State oh yeah bring him in <laughs> I mean Kareem Lattimore oh my god I mean oh my god it was it was I mean Quincy Carter love Quincy yeah. Quincy's here in Austin but and Quincy will tell you they had a private investigator looking into whether he might have been involved in point shaving and other nefarious activities and drafted him apparently because the Raiders, Al Davis, and people still to this day don't know if Al Davis was like bluffing with Jarrah because they did trade up to get Quincy ahead of the Raiders who took Marquise Tuiasa-Stopo that draft. Um, and look, Quincy took the Cowboys – to the playoffs under Bill Parcells. So Quincy was kind of like Baker Mayfield. The only guy who believed in himself was Quincy Carter. The only guy who believed in Baker Mayfield coming into this season was Baker Mayfield. And here's Baker leading the Bucks uh, to a playoff win. And Quincy helped Cowboys go to the playoffs under, under Parcells. And, and then, Tony Romo took over and mm. won two playoff games in his entire tenure. So don't ever talk to me about putting Tony Romo in the ring of honor for the Cowboys. Cause that would Come be the Come on. dumbest, dumbest decision of all time. There's Come on. he had fine ass Jessica Simpson in the suites. Come on. Tony fine. did a lot for the program. And put him in the per se Hilton. <laughs> put him in the per se Hilton. Gossip Hall of Fame. Because uh, okay. he was good at that. He was good at that. Yeah. He was good at that. 
Uh huh. Yeah. If, Tony got I around. Mean, you got you got Roger Staubach and Troy Aikman and Don Meredith. Even I don't know about he, Don. It, Meredith. it was Troy's fault. Troy Troy didn't like the White House and all the hoopla off the field because you know Troy he was straight arrow. You know, first round, first pick of the draft. Face of the franchise, Troy Aikman, he didn't like all that stuff that Barry Switzer and those guys put up with, that Jerry was willing to put up with. And, yeah, things went south. Once Troy started bitching and started complaining on the sidelines and cussing folks out and all that stuff, Troy, we ain't having fun no more. Like, you know, the, the hoes come with it, Troy. You got to understand that. You, you got to understand that. You know, That's what, I, that's what led to Chan Gailey. Mm. Bible toting Chan Gailey as Witzer's replacement. Talk That's about me. I can't do that. That's a bad move. Eight you gotta get eight. somebody that gets it. You gotta bring somebody in that gets it. You know eight what I'm saying? Gailey. Like, hey, just don't commit no felony. We don't need we we'll we'll bail you out every once in a while. As long as you're not a freaking felon, then we, we can do with that. Have fun, enjoy the fruits of your labor. But when it comes to getting on the field, perform. That's what Stretch right. always says about Playmaker. That's why he's so beloved. All that you go look at Playmaker's background, Michael Irvin, just look at all the dirt he did. The dude was living foul. The dude was living just a ridiculous life off the field. But when it came to strapping up those pads and strapping up that helmet, he was there. He was putting on the show. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame and the Ring of Honor. That's why that number 88 is so legendary. And C.D. Lamb, he wasn't repping that number 88. Michael, like Irvin, Michael Irvin dodged some bullets. He was hanging out with Eric Williams. Eric Williams and he were like Damon Stoudemire and Rashid. And Rashid. <laughs> they were out in Eric Williams' big-ass Mercedes sedan mm. getting in wrecks. I mean – Michael was on the edge, no doubt. Yeah. And that whole thing, remember when he was like trying to cut Rich McIver's hair or whatever, the and he cut him? Like, <laughs> like he cut him in the neck. It was serious. And I mean, he could have been like arrested on assault charges for like stabbing his own teammate. It was and it he was, was fading them up, just giving them a haircut and just yeah, but it some happened. Oh, yeah. got a little out of hand. Oh, yeah. They must have been somebody talked about somebody's mama or somebody's old lady. And Michael didn't like that. And used the but then Jerry, the worst. Jerry, you know, it all worked with Jimmy because they all had to they all had to be, you know, totally on point in practice. And Michael was fine with that. Michael worked harder than anyone else. He was always the last one to leave. He always did extra routes and he always showed up. And, you know, Jimmy didn't, as long as they were showing up and doing what they had to do, they had it. And, Jer I mean, Jimmy would cut, you know, he cut Kervin Richards for a bad practice. Kervin Richards was expendable. That was all, that was brilliant by Jimmy to put fear in the team and all that. I mean, Jimmy ran it. The players feared him. They have not feared a coach since. And look at the coaches that Jerry hired. I mean, from Chan Gailey to, you know, I mean, Switzer. Switzer 
which I love Barry Switzer. Don't get me wrong. But at that time it was like, what is he doing? But Switzer, the talent, the discipline, they won that Super Bowl in 95 kind of on their own as players. But, um, and they, you know, some of them love Switzer because he's a good time guy. Yeah. He loves what they want. Yeah. Chan Gailey. I mean, um, my God, Dave Campo. And then Bill Parcells to get, because Jerry needed the stadium. So he hired a real coach and had Steven be the liaison between them. Like Jerry's office was over here at Valley Ranch. Bill's office was over here. And Steven Jones would go back and forth telling him, you know, what each other wanted and was like the liaison. Bill took that job because he got divorced. He had gambling debts. He had horses. He was getting paid $4 million a year, which at that time was good money. He's like, I'm going to work. He told Pat Summer, I'm going to do this for four years, and then I'm out. He did it for four years, and he was out. He had that $16 million post-divorce. Bill's like, I got my money back. I'm good. And then, you know, I don't know. Jerry, I love Jerry, and I hate Jerry. Jerry's been as good for the NFL as you can be as an owner, and he's been as bad for the Cowboys as a, a GM and a hirer of coaches is, you know. And then everyone was like, okay, well, if McCarthy flunks out, we're going to go with Dan Quinn. Can you go with Dan Quinn now? I don't know if you can. That, that, that's what I'm saying. Like that, that, that brings up a good point, Chip. Was he one foot in, one foot out? Right. All he's the got openings. five interviews lined up already. That's a lot. If I know that, if I'm a Michael Parsons, if I'm a Stefan Gilmore, Curse, Deron Bland, and I know my guy is getting ready to bounce when this season's over, how locked in are we? How locked in are you? Because that's when I'm challenging Dan Quinn, like, hey, are you here with us? Or is this just another stepping stone to your career? Which that's how it is for almost every coach in the NFL that's not a head coach. But still, you don't you don't want to know. You want to know that your coach is there with you when you go to war. You know what I'm saying? Not off to the next place when the season ends. And they play like that. That they defense did. play like that. They play like they had more on their mind than the Green Bay Packers. And if I'm Dan Quinn, yeah, you got to strike while the iron's hot. Because with that performance, yeah. Take what you can get now and just the history that you've had of being a head coach at previous stops. But, yeah, man, I I for sure think that this defense for the Cowboys, knowing that Dan Quinn is probably going to take a head coaching job for the 2024 season, we're thinking about that the whole game. And I know you're a professional. you got to go do your job, but you're also human. You know what I'm saying? And that team, that defense, Michael Parsons, the way they feel about Dan Quinn, like he's like a father figure to a lot of those athletes. And now your father figures probably off to, as Joe K says, Seattle or something like that. Mm, That stings. Well, and (laughs) kudos to the Green Bay Packers because the, the one thing the Cowboys had shown was a weakness in stopping the run. Could we saw that from the, the kid with the Buffalo Bills, he ran all cook, cook he ran man. all over the Cowboys and the Packers saw that film and they're like, we're going to pound it. And they yeah. pounded it. And my God, Cowboys had no answer. And then the play action started working. Jordan Love started looking like 
freaking Nick Foles from the Super Bowl and and was like ho hum, ho hum, <laughs> walking off the field. Let's bring in our man Hank South, recruiting guru, horns twenty four seven dot com. Hank, what's going on? Got your. Uh, we know you got some like. Well, no, you like the Ravens because you like the shirt. Um, <laughs> what did you think? What did you think of the Cowboys? Did you? It was that was wild. I mean, everyone's giving Dak so much crap, and it's like the defense couldn't stop anything. Like they were just getting run through. Um, so I'm not sure as as much his fault as it was. I mean, Dak was making some pretty uh, some pretty careless throws on a few few drives that I saw, but uh, I mean. Come to expect it, you know, watching the Cowboys, I guess. God, yeah. Yeah, hey, 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 talk about the former Alabama quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa. Both of those guys really struggled in their playoff games. And let's start with Tua, but you just watching both of those guys. Like, Tua, anytime a game's under 45 degrees, like, I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt, even though I had Kansas City. I can't do it no more. Like, he yeah. tries to tell us, um, I'm from Hawaii. I'm not Hawaiian. I don't know what that means. Like, I, Hank, I'm from Texas. I'm a Texan. So, Tua, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but – he looked cold as hell. Yeah. It just he seems like one of those guys, a lot like Dak Prescott, that you're good during the regular season, but when postseason comes along, just can't get it done. Yeah, it's weird. Now, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, like the sub like below 45 degrees. I mean, it's not like it was like 42 degrees. Like it was like it was like cold, cold. So like <laughs> like some of those throws, you can I mean, like you, I don't know. It, it looked painful to be out there. Um, but you know, I, it's crazy. You know, you kind of just you know, every every playoff, like no matter how like rough the Kansas City Chiefs look, I feel like during the season, or you know how down we might think they are, they always just kind of come alive in the playoffs. And, you know, they're they, they guy like Rasheed Rice; those guys like figure it out, and he, he gets a guy, a reliable guy to throw to. You know, Rasheed Rice, him, SMU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and they just kind of figure it out. So, but yeah, I mean, I've seen all the <clears throat> critical Tua comments. You know. Just that they don't feel like he has the competitive drive, you know. He's it's, I don't know. Maybe if the t- if the game was a different, you know, atmosphere, it would have turned out a little bit different. But yeah, seven points. I mean, that's that's wild considering the the performance of performances we've been able to see them put together this year. So yeah, pretty wild. You know, I, I think I didn't realize he's actually started every game this year. So I think this is the first season too. Actually, you know, was healthy all year since you know maybe high school. You know, it, or you know. His freshman year at Alabama, he didn't play until the title game. But you know, it's kind of it's kind of wild. So you know, we'll we'll see what happens with them. I, th- I think you know they obviously had some injuries on defense as well. But yeah, still wild that they, they couldn't get together, put together some more points. Yeah. Hank, obviously the big news: Isaiah Bond um, signed. Yeah. He is signed and in in the fold. Like he didn't wait around for what was going to happen at Alabama. He wanted a piece of Steve Sarkeesian's offense and your thoughts. Yeah. You know, there's so much to like about this pickup. Um, You know, we were just talking about the dolphins, you know, I I think Isaiah bond, you don't want to put this comparison on a kid and like, you know, that's the expectation, but he's very Tyreek Hill esque in terms of his explosiveness and kind of just, you know, one cut go kind of guy. Um, So I I think there's a lot to be excited about his game. I think he's kind of just scratched the surface of his potential as a receiver um, you know, like, again, I wrote on, uh, you know, when he committed on whatever day it was this weekend, um, 
you know, I, I wrote, you know, he did, he was recruited as a cornerback for most of high school until right before his senior season, everyone was, uh, they kind of switched gears and recruited him as a receiver, Alabama included, where he obviously signed. He was committed to Florida. They switched to recruiting him as a receiver. And so that was kind of where he's at. So, you know, you can kind of see, and I think he mentioned it too, you know, he, he kind of can he sees the field a little bit differently because he's seeing it more as a defensive back. And he, he kind of has, can, you know, see some of the things they're trying to do and, you know, you know, take that and use it as an advantage for himself, but really explosive kid, you know, a, a kid that's been running, uh, I think he did junior Olympics and in, in, as, in, as a like elementary schooler, like he was running like Olympic events or, you know, winning golds for his age division um, back then, you know, he's clocked a 10, four, nine verified uh, hundred meter, um, he had the had the fastest 200 meter in the in the nation um, as a senior. Uh, I think it was 21 something. I don't have it right in front of me, but really explosive kid, a guy that can come in and kind of replace that uh, Xavier Worthy in your offense that can kind of just take off, you know, take the top off the defense. And so, you know, huge get. You know, it's it's so interesting to see. Like we think we have it, um, you know, nailed down on the receivers they're going after. You know, last week it was C.J. Daniels, the Liberty transfer. Or, you know, Bryson Rogers, the Ohio State transfer, and then Isaiah Bond enters the portal. And, you know, those kind of those two guys, you know, take a back seat. You know, they ended up uh, Rogers is sticking at Ohio State. Um, Daniels committed to LSU. Neither of those were unexpected after Texas started to pursue Bond um, and they got it done with him. So, and, you know, they might not be done. You know, we can talk more about uh, who else they're after, but um, huge, huge pickup and a guy that's going to make a, a big impact next fall. Yeah, that's the thing, Hank. Like, you talk about them might not being done, but how good are the guys that are there coming back from DeAndre Moore to Jonte Cook, Ryan Niblett? Like, you you already got Matthew Golden from U of H, just got Isaiah Bond, the Oregon State brother. I heard he was in town not too long ago. Like, I I love it. Get as many heavy hitters as possible, but it also helps me think – is Chris Jackson and Steve Sarkeesian not confident with what's already there, which is why they're going so hard after guys in the transfer portal right now? No, I, you know, at first, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, maybe they don't feel good about the guys they have. Like, but if you look at the numbers, like they're after the transfer portal attrition and the guys going to the draft, they were bringing back without any 2024 recruits or transfer portal guys, they were only bringing back three scholarship wide receivers. So it's like they had to reload here Obviously, you want to set up Quinn for the best, you know, possible outcome. And, um, you know, you took two guys out of high school in, in DuBose and uh, in Livingston that probably need a little bit of time to, to develop and, and be ready. You know, Wingo, I think, could probably play immediately. Butler as well, you know, he could be a guy that needs a year or two. Um, so you got that. But then, you know, uh, you know, you I, I don't think people are like I think people are underestimating like how much they're replacing on offense. We're not even at receiver, you know, with tight end and running back. Those guys had their bulk of. Um, you know, um, catches as well. So um, I, I think they want to load up as much as they can. And, and I was talking to one source, you know, they, they're actually very excited about, you know, the guys they have back with Jonte Cook. You know, I heard a lot of rave stuff, rave reviews about um, DeAndre Moore um, coming back next year. And so I, I don't think it's any slight at, you know, what those guys have done or have shown. I think they're excited about them. I think they just want to help, you know, Quinn years. I think they want to build up this explosive offense and, you know, get the guys that want to come. And so, I think with uh, with Bond, that's nine scholarship receivers. And, and again, you know, Silas Bolden is a guy that they're still pressing for, the Oregon State wide receiver. And, you know, obviously he's a little bit different of a, of a build. He's, he's you know, sub 5'10". Um, but, you know, one of those guys that, you know, can play in the slot. He's a he's all Pac-12 return specialist, so can certainly contribute on special teams, kind of in that Keelan Robinson type role. 
Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think they really wowed him this weekend as well. I actually think they probably, I mean, he even said, you know, Texas is the team to beat for him, but I think, you know, this could be one that, you know, he maybe commits sooner rather than later instead of taking his other visits. So that just shows you, you know, what they're doing. Um, and then there's Ryan Williams still out there. Who's, you know, what, uh, 11 days away from his official visit to Austin, um, and, and a guy that, you know, nobody's going to say no to Ryan Williams if he wants to come, you know, there's, there's a spot for Ryan Williams, um, wherever he wants to go. So yeah, certainly still some interesting, um, moves we're tracking. Well, that, that's the, the good news, the excitement, the positivity, um, Bo Davis leaving. Um, can you give us an update on what's going on with, uh, DeAndre Robinson and, and, where things went with yeah. Jamari Caldwell. Yeah. So Jamari Caldwell, you know, I think obviously it's not a huge surprise. I think he would have ended up at Texas had Bo Davis mm-hmm. stayed on the staff. Um, the Houston defensive line transfer we're talking about, he actually committed to Oregon this past weekend. So, you know, it's not a shock. That was, you know, he, once we found out he wasn't going to stay at Houston, you know, Texas was the team to beat the Bo Davis news comes down and, you know, it, it's kind of to be expected. So not a huge shock. Obviously, that's a guy they wanted and, and could use. Um, so it hurts in that regard, but um, not a surprise. Um, in terms of the 2024 signees, um, Yonder Robinson, there's a lot of a lot of buzz and some reports out that, you know, he's he's looking to get out of his letter of intent. Um, you know, I, I think that I think he is, you know, weighing that option. Um, he didn't arrive with the, the early enrollees this past weekend to, to move in. So I think that's a that's a telling sign in terms of, you know, what he's looking at as, as, you know, but does that mean he's not going to consider Texas? I don't think that's the case. I think, you know, maybe he wants to take a step back, see who Texas hires and then maybe make a final decision. Um, obviously, you know, class has started today. They have kind of a little bit of a window they can, you know, mess around with and, and, and figure out what they're going to do and, and, and get into time for spring. So that's something we're tracking. Maybe we'll hear some more about that today. Um, and then Melvin Hills, obviously, the other defensive line signee, I think he's, I don't think he's as serious about, you know, maybe backing out of the class as, um, well, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to start speculating. I, I, I think he's taking more of a patient approach instead of saying, Hey, I'm, I want to get out of my letter of intent. Hey, let's see who they hire go from there. Cause obviously both these guys have strong relationships with more than just Bo Davis. So certainly two guys were watching Alex January, you know, he's all Texas. He's ready to go. He's moved in this past weekend. Um, he's going to go with, with ever, whoever they hire. So, that's obviously something we're watching. We'll see how it affects the 2025 class as, you know, junior day comes up this weekend. But, um, yeah, certainly um, a, a big development there that kind of got overshadowed by the Saban news. You know, it, Bo Davis went to LSU. That was a huge story for about an hour and a half. And then Nick Saban retired. And that, that's that been the talk of college football ever since. Yeah. What, what, what do you think happened with Dominic McKinley? Because it seemed like he was showing interest in Texas and then he ends up committing to LSU. Yeah. So I, I think – you know, I, I, there was a lot of buzz about, you know, Bo Davis and, you know, being tied to LSU prior to him even departing. So I think that's something he was looking at. Um, you know, I, I think he was all, I think Louisiana kids, you know, they want to go to LSU a lot of the time, you know, it, it's not often you pull the elite talent out of Louisiana. Those guys are looking for a reason to go to LSU most of the time. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of, you know, where he felt pulled, obviously all the staff turnover at Texas A&M. I think if Elijah Robinson had stayed at Texas A&M, regardless of uh, Jimbo leaving, I think he probably would have stuck with A&M. But once Elijah Robinson went to Syracuse, I think that was kind of the – that was, you know, that was it for the Aggies' chances. And then it became either LSU or Texas. And I think, you know, you usually give the edge to the home state there. And then, you know – but the thing is he hadn't signed. So once, you know, he he did commit to LSU and he still hasn't signed. Um, but then obviously Bo Davis comes over. So I think that 
you know, officially probably closes the door on the chances for anyone else to, to change Dominic McKinley's mind. But, you know, Texas liked him. You know, I, they, they certainly need to get some more interior defensive line guys. That, that's certainly something, you know, I think they're going to still be active in the portal going after and, and trying to retain, obviously, DeAndre Robinson and Melvin Hills, too. They don't want to they don't want to lose those guys. They, they're, they're, they're they took their commitments for a reason. So, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting position group we're going to be watching. Hey, John A. Barron coming back is huge for another year. I saw the video of him and Michael Huff, or Michael Huff's giving him his number seven jersey. So it seems like John A.'s going from 23 to seven. But, you know, he didn't have the year that he did in 2022 and 2023. So it's probably a big reason why he came back. But that's just huge for Texas for leadership and just his presence as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we saw some guys exiting the portal. You know, they're going to be – there's new faces on the back end. There's there's some guys returning. But to have a guy like that, kind of like that heartbeat of the – I mean, I, almost kind of a comparison to Jalen Ford almost. You know, he, he was kind of that quarterback of the defense, and obviously the inside linebacker usually is. But a guy that, you know, that that heartbeat, that that really – that that leader people can rally around. I, I think Jade Barron could even play that role in the secondary this this coming up year. And you know, for guys to kind of uh, learn from, he can kind of teach them, show them the ropes and, and help these younger guys that could potentially make an impact year one. I mean, not even younger guys. So Makuba is going to be technically a, a year one guy at Texas. So, you know, to have those kind of veteran um, voices uh, and players in the back end, that's huge, especially going in, you know, to, to a schedule where, you know, you're going to be facing some uh, some really talented passers in, in 2024, whether, you know, we'll see who Michigan gets, but uh uh, you know, Georgia, obviously Carson Beck and, and you know, the offenses you're going to be facing in, in, in 2024 to have those kind of that presence back there. That's going to help a lot. Well, and Quinn Ewers, you know, we haven't had a chance to ask you about Quinn making it official that he's returning yeah. for the 2024 season. Uh, what kind of impact do you think that has on the team on recruiting? Yeah, I think it's huge. Um, I, th- I think that's probably a good part of the reason Isaiah Bond committed. I, I think obviously, you know, he, he loves Sark and what he does as an offense and the offense, and, you know, Arch is going to help guys too, whenever he gets his chance as well. But Quinn Ewers is, you know, top one or two quarterbacks back in the country next year. Top receivers want to come catch passes from the, he, people see what Adonai Mitchell was able to do this year. You know, he's getting, you know, first round buzz in, in mock drafts um, one year with Quinn. So I think that was a huge reason why I think it helped with Matthew Golden, I think it'll probably help with, you know, these guys, not some of these guys, everyone's like, oh, well, you know, they're getting Isaiah Bond and, and Matthew Golden, you know, you got to imagine guys are going to enter the portal. It's like, I I don't think so. <laughs> I think these guys are, are pretty excited about, you know, what this fat staff has envisioned for them and, you know, how they can utilize them in this offense. And, you know, I think they're excited about playing with Quinn one more year. So huge, huge, um, uh, you know, news there uh, recruiting wise. I think, again, I think it, I think that was one of the big reasons for Isaiah Bond and, you know, it's probably not going to help with 2025 receivers because you got to imagine that, that Quinn's going to go to the NFL next year. But, um, you know, just to kind of keep putting Texas on the map and, and showing them, you know, just how special, you know, of an offense that, that you know, they can run under Steve Sarkeesian. Well, and let me go back to Bo Davis for a second. There's been talk about he was a good recruiter. Yeah. He was not a good recruiter. Maybe more of a developer than a recruiter. Can you kind of give us your opinion on that? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, you know, you, you talk to people that he recruits. They, I mean, they absolutely love the guy. And, you know, I covered him for a year at Bama when I was covering him. And, you know, he he got – I forgot what the class was. But, uh, you know, he had some big-name guys. And, you know, everyone raved about him. He's really strong in the Houston area. You know, he's he's just a, a solid presence to have on your staff. And, and of course, obviously, 
probably one of the best de- defensive line developers um, out there. So, I mean, it, it's, there's no doubt it's lost. I think, I think, you know, a lot of these 2025 kids we've talked to really loved him. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to, um, you know, certainly be something they have to replace. And again, you know, we're seeing an effect, you know, whether DeAndre Robinson wants to stay in the class or not. So, you know, that was one of their biggest defensive pickups this, or this, this, uh, this cycle. So um, certainly, you know, the, you know, no one person is like the reason, you know, they're going to, it's a good sign for your program when other top programs are trying to pull away your coaches. And, you know, I think that's just a testament to, you know, what Sark's built and, uh, and the guys he's bringing in. And again, you know, in terms of new guys, Johnny Nansen, we're seeing the Arizona team that could be in the college playoff next year, all gunning for him to be their head coach. Obviously he didn't, he didn't get the job, but you know, they were all hashtagging, you know, hire Nansen. So Sark, Sark's going to hire, you know, the right person for this job. And, and I, I think, you know, we'll see the results come on the recruiting trail. Yeah. yeah. And talk about that. Johnny Nansen as a recruiter, the poly whisperer. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, uh, that's what Greg Biggins um, said his nickname was, um, you know, whether he'd be at USC, UCLA, Washington, Arizona, you know, he, he's landed some, some major recruitments. Um, I think we talked about it last week, but, you know, Talanoa Hufanga, the, the all pro safety, um, you know, he was, he was his lead recruiter. I had the list posted, so I don't have it right in front of me, but you know, he, he's, he's been the PAC 12 recruiter of the year, according to 24 seven sports. Um, and again, you're seeing it just with the relationships he had at Arizona, all these guys, you know, a lot of them, their decisions on entering the portal or not were hinging upon whether they hire Johnny Nansen as head coach. So um, to have him as a co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, I think it's huge. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple of recruits um, that have raved about him. You know, Anthony Williams, Deuce Williams, the new linebacker commit um, in 2025, really liked him. He was being recruited by him at Arizona. Um, so obviously that translated over to Texas. And, you know, I've talked to I, – I was, I was talking to Kendrick Blackshire earlier, the Alabama transfer that visited this weekend, and he was – that was the first coach you brought up. He was like, you know, this new linebackers coach they got is the real deal. So um, I, I think he's a huge hit with the recruits. And I think we'll, we'll continue to see that kind of trend, um, you know, this spring, assuming, you know, there's buzz that he might <laughs> might go back to Arizona as defensive coordinator. So I don't want to like put anything out there, but um, you know, he, he was a very good hire. Hank Amari Nyblack tied in for Alabama into the transfer portal. And after Brock Bowers and JT Sanders, I thought he was the best tight end in the nation. Just yeah. that somebody that athletic, that fast, he has wide receiver speed at the tight end spot. Do you think Jeff Banks and Steve Sarkeesian are going to take a look at him? I think they probably will. Um, I don't, uh, as of like us being on this show, I'm not sure if he's actually put his name into the portal yet. Uh, I think, I think he's like, it's that, that intends to enter the portal, you know, kind of in limbo. So I do think, you know, if he does, that's going to be a guy they they take a look at because, you know, we've seen like, again, you know, they, they're bringing in um, the Stanford tight end transfer, uh, Ben Urasek. Um, the, the, the date's to be determined. Pete Thamel reported it yesterday, but uh, it looks like they want to bring in a tight end. And, you know, that makes sense in terms of, you know, the depth they have coming back, you know, with with uh, Jatavian Sanders going to the NFL. So, um, I, yeah, I, I think um, Amari Nyblack, you know, we saw him he kind of busted onto the scene against Texas um, in September. You know, he, he was a guy that everyone, you know, wanted to see more of, but he just hadn't really busted through yet. Um, you know, as a, as a, you know, standout guy on the offense and then caught the touchdown against Texas and he had a pretty strong season um, after that. So yeah, that, that's good. That could be a guy that's just kind of in that mold of, of, of JT Sanders um, that, you know, they could, they could look after. And, and this Eurosec kid from Stanford, I mean, he's uh, career has like, I think 1300 yards receiving. Uh, he didn't have a huge season this year, but um, a guy that was a, a four-star recruit um, out of high school. And, 
you know, obviously Stanford always has a good tight end or two. So, you know, if you can get them out of there, that that's a, that's a big addition as well. So that, that'll be one we're watching also. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask you about uh, Ben Urasek. Um, he's, you know, would you say he's a, an all around tight end? He can yeah. block and catch. Yeah, I, I would. Um, and I, I think, you know, one, one thing to maybe like follow on is Georgia wanted him. So it's like, if you need like a help with an eval, it's like, Oh, this kid's looking at Georgia. Let's take a look at him. Cause Georgia has, you know, first round tight end after first round tight end, um, you know, after what they did with Brock Bowers or any, really any tight end from uh, Northern California, those guys seem to work out at the college level usually. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I think he's kind of one of those all around guys, a guy that, you know, it's a young tight end room. Um, you know, you only brought one in, in the 2024 class, uh, so, you know, someone that can come in and, uh, you know, kind of similar to defense, you know, the guys are bringing in on defense in Makuba um, or, or Trey Moore, a guy that can, um, you know, provide that veteran presence. Yeah. Last one for me, Hank, uh, Jabbar nice. Muhammad, what he brings to the table, Washington corner into the transfer portal, Texas kid, cousins with Malik, everything yeah. just makes sense going yeah. Texas's way, kind of like a Andrew Makuba situation. But I heard he's been getting, you know, the same love from Oregon, which would be yeah. really mucked up if he goes to the rival school of Washington. Hey, <laughs> we're in a different era. What's it looking like for Jabbar right now? Yeah, a playmaker. Obviously, you know, Texas reached out, went and visited him. Um, Terry Joseph went and saw him on, uh, I guess it was Saturday night um, in in, uh, in the Dallas area. Um, so, you know, it makes sense. You know, he's got, you know, he could probably pick where he wants to go. You know, he's a really talented kid, uh, showed out in the playoff. Um, the buzz late, like the last like day or, you know, 12 hours or so, I feel like Alabama's kind of starting to make a move there because, you know, they're, they're losing just about everybody in the portal. So, you know, they're going to need a, I shouldn't say everybody, but um, they, they've been taking some hits the last few days. Um, they saw Des Ricks, their five-star freshman corner, enter the portal. They're losing Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry on Arnold, both their starting corners to the NFL. So, you know, they, they could use an instant impact guy on that back end. Um, so I, 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 you know, earlier, if you asked me yesterday, I probably would have said Oregon, but I think Alabama's kind of making it interesting here. There's buzz. He might visit Texas this week. Certainly something we'll watch, but I, I wouldn't pick Texas just yet for Jabbar Muhammad, despite, you know, the home state, his, his, his ties with uh, Malik and, you know, all that. I, I think he might look elsewhere. Wow. Hank, anything else at the top of your notebook? I got a lot um, going on. Yeah, no, I, I uh, you know, obviously junior day this weekend, um, the list is like, name a 2025 recruit and they're probably coming. Like it's a, it's a long list. I don't have it pulled up right in front of me. So that's something Jordan and I and Tommy Yarish are going to be covering on campus this weekend. So that'll be a, a real big one. Maybe we'll see some good news out of that in terms of the portal. You know, I mentioned Kendrick Blackshire. I, you know, I, I wrote on Sunday night, I think that, um, you know, I like where Texas stands coming out of his visit. I, I still like where Texas stands. You know, I think, you know, even with David Benda coming back, you know, to get another veteran linebacker back there, add some depth that has SEC experience. I think that's big. And I think that's what, you know, the reasoning Texas is looking for, looking at him there. Um, Silas Bolden, the receiver from Oregon State, keeping on a close eye on him. I could see him making a decision relatively soon. Um, think I think Texas isn't in shape there. You know, I keep saying it, but, you know, they're, they're doing really well. Um, so those two guys, we'll see what happens to the defensive line. That's something we're following closely. Obviously, whoever Texas hires the defensive line coach, that's going to, you know, kind of lead us to, to some more conclusions as to who they're going to go after or be able to keep. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, obviously we'll track Ryan Williams and any other transfer portal developments, but yeah, plenty going on. Um, it's, it's pretty wild time. Yeah. 
Get over to horns247.com for sure, um, where Hank is keeping you up to date, up to the minute. Hank, keep up the good work, man. Appreciate the time. Any, anytime. Thanks, guys. Thanks, right. Hank. Appreciate Hank Follow him on Twitter at HankSouth247. Um, and Zay, I got to tell you, took the wife. We went to Salt Traders Coastal Cooking um heading into the weekend it was fantastic that new orleans barbecue shrimp if you love oysters i mean they have dollar oysters during um happy hour i mean you gotta you gotta get to salt traders coastal cooking it it's fantastic um i mean the fish everything is prepared to perfection and the specials, the sides. I mean, it's Jack Gilmore who gave you Jack Allen's kitchen. The guy kills it. Um, the, uh, the black and tuna steak, uh, it's just phenomenal food. So get to, uh, salt Raiders coastal cooking for happy hour, $5 off the beginnings menu, uh, where you can get that new Orleans barbecue shrimp, the chowder fries, um, you name it. And um, you'll you'll thank me later. And all night happy hour on Mondays, uh, happy hour, three thirty to six thirty uh, every other day. So Salt Traders Coastal Cooking and Brain Vault. If you've got a competitor um, who needs to be protected with a mouth guard, there's only one place to go, and that is BrainVault.com. Uh, Brain Vault, the uh, only mouth guard patented, proven to reduce the effects of concussion developed right here in Austin by Dr. Greg Eckert, Dr. U-E-C-K-E-R-T, um, who is Austin's dentist, by the way. And um, But BrainVault.com, they will, if you're the coach or the team parent, they do group fittings, they will come to you and make sure that your competitors are all playing hard, but playing safe. And that's whether it's cheerleading or lacrosse or flag football, your competitors need to be protected and brainvault.com is where you go to set up the appointment and audio visual consultations. Our man, Tom McKay, it's the new year. How about a new big screen? Um, if you don't have a big screen that makes you feel like you're on the sideline at the game, it's probably not big enough. So AV consultations, and you don't have to move a muscle other than to call two, five, five, eight, six, seven, eight. Tom and his crew will bring everything to you from the free consultation to installation. You just make that call 255-8678. Tell them Texas Sports Unfiltered sent you. And they'll bring you the best price, the best big screens and the best price. New lighting, electronic shades, surveillance. They can do it all. They'll build you a new media room. AVConsultations.com is the website. And how about... Uh, let me give. I haven't brought the Honolulu Blue. Olipop, the tropical punch for my Lions. Love Olipop. I'm one of those fools that's kind of addicted to carbonation. So the fact that I can have a healthy soda with um, nine grams of dietary fiber and only three grams of sugar. Yeah, I'm in. Kudos to the Lions. Thank you. Thank you, Jared Goff. 
Thank you. Um, Zay. Um, chip shot today. Real simple. I was so nervous going into the Lions Rams game. Of course, um, I got to give you your props. That was the only game you lost. Oh, no, you won that game, too. Come on, man. Come on. You went five and one. You went five and one. Cowboys. Yeah. You lost the Cowboys. I lost the Cowboys. I and I, Dallas. Man, I was so ready to pick Green Bay, too. But you went five and one. I went one and five. And you know what? I don't care because the Lions got it done. And you know what? It was a good game. Like Matt Stafford, Puka Nakua, um, they were dealing. Stafford's throwing no-look passes. But I thought the game plan from the Lions was outstanding. They they double and triple teamed Aaron Donald so that Jared Goff could get his, his passes off. I loved that we had Chris Collinsworth and Mike Tirico for that game because Collinsworth does as good a job of breaking it down on the spot as possible. Um, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, what can you say? Second and nine. And were the Lions just going to run it into the pile and, and punt the ball to the Rams? No. Jared Goff, who does he throw to to basically kill the clock? He throws it to number 14, baby. And Amon Ross St. Brown delivers the goods with the huge catch, allows the Lions to run out the clock on a 24-23 win. Uh, the city of Detroit goes wild. I'm just happy for Jared Goff because all the pressure was on him. He's the guy who got dusted by the Rams, and the Rams won a Super Bowl without him and then kind of rebuilt and were already back um, because they had studs like um, – Oh, Kyron Robinson, who's the Kyron Williams, sorry, the running back, Puka Nakua, all they just, you know, there was a lot of pressure on Jared Goff. And he completed his first 14 passes in that game. That's, I was like, wow. But Stafford was right there with him. So it was an incredible game. Just, I hope this fills the confidence tank for the Lions. They can handle business next week and get to the NFC championship game. And then let's see what's going on. Let's, let's see how that I'll take my chances. And as far as the Houston Texans, that game was so much fun to watch because CJ Stroud didn't miss a thing. That guy sees the field like a veteran and he was slinging it to Nico Collins. Nico Collins was slamming guys into the turf, the Texans, are about as fun to watch and no one's talking about their defense and their defense is dealing. And I can't wait to see the Texans and the Ravens play because just like the Packers going out to San Fran, those Packers are like, Hey man, we're the youngest team in the league. We're just full of, we're having fun and we don't, we don't know any better. We're just kicking ass and having fun. So those were the those were the highlights for me from the playoff weekend. And uh, 
thank you, Jared Goff, for holding it together a whole lot better than Dak Prescott. Yeah, ain't that the truth? Because Jared Goff, when you have the whole stadium cheering your name, your name yo, before the game. That, that has Jared to be a different Goff. feeling. <laughs> that has to be a different feeling. Grown-ass men in the stands crying and boo-hooing and stuff. It's like, I get it, Chip. It's been a long time coming to get that playoff win, and y'all deserve all the love that y'all are getting. So, yeah, I like your chances, too, with Tampa Bay. As good as Baker Mayfield's playing, as confident as the Buccaneers are, y'all got the better quarterback playing at home. Hey, we'll see what happens there. Already beat the team. That's what, if you're scared, that's what kind of scares you. You beat them, so they've seen you before, and, you know, it might just be a little different, kind of like what the Browns showed with the Texans. But, yeah, I like what the, where the Lions are right now. Dan Campbell, he deserves the love. And kind of like what John Brown told us right after that Cowboys, just brutal defeat. Like, it's going to pull something out of the team. They're going to dig deep and they're going to fight even harder because of what happened at Dallas, you know, over New Year's weekend. So I, I like that. I like that mentality going into the rest of the playoffs. And yeah, it's a different feeling when you don't got much on the line where nobody's really believing in you to get to the Super Bowl. You're able to play freely. We talked about it early with the Packers. We talked about it with the Texans and the Lions with the history. Like, again, don't have much to lose. Nobody expect you even win this game due to, you know, the curses and this and that. So, yeah, it's been a good playoff so far, and I'm looking forward to this weekend because this is one of my favorite weekends. These four games that are coming up, this is why you watch the NFL, baby, and a lot of guys got a chance to put themselves in a different category when it comes to, you know, their legacies, and that's what's fun about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know where you're going with the uh with oh, the you know where i'm going you know where i'm going before we get to that i'm gonna talk about covert bk first shout out to the covert auto group family owned automotive dealerships over a hundred years of taking care of the great austin people at covert b cave they got seven terrific uh brands to choose from dodge chrysler cadillac gmc ram buick and jeep you're gonna find what you want at covert b cave they've been committed to providing customers with a high quality selection of new and pre-owned vehicles and you can see those selections at covertbcave.com you can see all the latest specials and inventory Go to covertbcave.com, check it out, get what you want. We're in 2024. That hoopty ain't going to get it done. That station wagon ain't going to get it done. That buggy to where, you know, it's cold as hell right now. We in the teens type stuff that we're dealing with. You don't need that old ass car that they don't put out no heat and you're out there shivering when you're on 35. No, get rid of that. Go to Covert B Cave. They'll hook you up. Nobody beats a covert deal. Not now, not ever. Happy anniversary to my wife. Got to shout that out. Beautiful day. We got officially, I want to say officially married, but we had the wedding party two years ago to this day in 2022. We got married for the state in the summer of 2021, but we celebrate this one because that's the one I remember, to be honest, Chip. That's why we celebrate it, because <laughs> house was a big party and stuff. So happy birthday to my lovely, beautiful, or excuse me, anniversary to my lovely, beautiful wife, Jesse Collier. Terrific day. Let's see. Happy anniversary. Yes. Went to, I went out to eat. It was terrific. But before we went out to eat, Chip, 
at the lovely Perry Steakhouse, I had to watch Texas basketball go one and two in the Big 12 and lose to a team that is now six and 10 overall in a very, very below average West Virginia team get completely outplayed, get completely just out aggressive a team that shot more free throws than you. You know what I always say about free throws. When you make more than the team shoots, always doomed for disaster at the final whistle. Usually that's what it is. West Virginia, May 27, Texas only shot 21. Texas also had 22 turnovers. 22 turnovers. Unacceptable. Rodney Terry, got to figure something out because this is not good. I told you right after the um, Texas Tech game that things could get really dark. There's about eight teams ranked right now that you still have to play again. And, yeah, it's just not looking too good. It's not looking too good at all. You got UCF tomorrow who just beat Kansas at home. No guaranteed wins left. Then you got the gauntlet of Baylor, Oklahoma, BYU, Houston, TCU, and Iowa State. All six of those teams are ranked. So I I don't really know what to say. This seems like an NIL, uh, NIT team right now, Chip. And it's frustrating because when I watch them, their offense, they have no offense. They have no identity. Like at the beginning of the season, I would think Max Aismas was taking some bad shots because, you know, he wasn't really allowing everybody to get involved and allowing the flow and chemistry to happen on offense with ball movement and different types of cutting and whatnot. No, Max Aismas has to take those bad shots because when it comes to half-court offense, it ain't there. Dylan Mitchell, when it half-court offense, he's not going to give you what you need for him to give. You know, I know everybody was talking about him developing a three-point shot because he did well at the draft combine against Casper. Nah, it's different when you're on the court and somebody's actually contesting that thing. And when you have Dylan Mitchell and Brock Cunningham in at the same time, they clog stuff up. Like, I'm going to put out a photo via Twitter on the spacing that Texas has at times. It's Brock Cunningham and Dylan Mitchell were both sitting at the short corner right next to each other at one point in the game in the second half at Saturday's whatever the hell you call that event that we had to see. And everybody else was just trying to figure stuff out. Like they were standing right by each other down there in the short corner. That's unacceptable. Like what are we doing? We got to have some type of spacing. We got to have some type of movement. But it also comes with this is what you got. Brock Cunningham's ability to not knock down shots only when he's spotting up, which he's not even doing that right now. He's giving you nothing. Brock's giving you nothing. He's fouled out in two out of the three games that they played in the Big 12. He fouled out against Texas Tech, and then he fouled out against West Virginia. He's giving you nothing. Caden Shedrick is hurt, so he's obviously not giving you anything. IT Horton, I don't even know why you're playing him, Rodney Terry. His minutes should be gone. They're all given to Kendall Weaver. Kendall Weaver needs to take all those minutes. And Kendall Weaver is seriously flawed. But at least he plays hard to what you always preach about with Weaver. You're right. You have to play him because he tries. He, he's going to give you a little bit of toughness. When he gets fouled, he's going to make one out of two free throws. But at least he's trying. IT Horton. He's supposed to be a good shooter. He came off a screen, a down screen, just simple rhythm, one-two. Got into a shot, airballed that thing. You can't play him. He's got the yips. He ain't confident. You can't play him. He had like 18 minutes and gave you zero points, Rodney Terry. 
You remember when I said about CC benching me last week? And I used to be like, all right, CC, do what you want because the person that you have coming in, you might be trying to prove a point, but we're going to get worse. I know I sound like an asshole right now, but we're going to get worse. CC finally figured out that, figured that out senior year. Rodney Terry tried to do that, you know, coaching mentality and bench Tyrese Hunter. You can't do that shit. This, you don't have enough guys that are good enough to do that. You got to ride it out with Tyrese Hunter, even if he has a bad game. Ride it out. Let him play through it. You can't put IT Horton in the game anymore. You got Kendall Weaver. He's not going to give you much. Max Aceman is taking terrible shots and he's still knocking some down, which is pretty incredible. But defensively, he's such a liability. West Virginia, they were given their guards, their point guard, oh, Kobe, whatever his name was, they were giving him the ball on the wing and letting him just take Max Aceman's ISO in the post. He scored a couple of times. A couple of other times he got to the line. But when that happens a few times, now you have to overhelp. You're leaving Kirk Chrissa open for knockdown threes. The big man, O'Shawn DePaul, looking Rastafarian, light-skinned brother, was taking Zirico Yema anytime he won and getting to the line, reverse dunks on him and Dylan DeSue. It's just, I don't even know what I'm watching here. I don't. And the guy I love, Coach Terry, he's family. The dude is family. But this ain't it. You got to figure something out. Like you're right, uh, well, let me, Frank Have, Steve McClain, Brandon Chappelle, Brian Jones, the rest of the coach, Chris Ogden. Somebody needs some help. And I'm sorry, Chip, before you go, look, a call should have been made to PJ Tucker before the season, and y'all should have had him get with Dylan Mitchell. And he should have had a conversation. PJ Tucker, former Texas great, that shot no threes at Texas, zero threes at Texas, but got to the NBA and has had a very long career of just doing the little things. He developed the outside shot, but just doing the little things. Dylan Mitchell, why don't you have any type of post game? Why don't they take advantage of mismatches? Because they don't have nothing in their back to do that to. You're going to live with Dylan Mitchell taking outside shots. You're going to live with Brock Cunningham taking outside shots. So that means if they're on the court at the same time, both of their guys are going to key in on Dylan DeSue. They're going to key in on Max Aceves and Tyrese Hunter. And those guys are going to make those guys work, and it's going to be harder for them to score. So I don't know what you do. This is an NIT team. With what the schedule is, with how tough the Big 12 is, According to Ken Palm, they have the toughest schedule, the second toughest schedule remaining in the nation. And I don't see it getting any better. Until Dylan Mitchell and Brock Cunningham could put some points on the board, along with IT Horton, which I wouldn't be surprised if you don't play him anymore, but guys are going to start getting tired. Like this is the Big 12 after all. Like you want to have a nine-man roster. That's what I preach at the beginning of the season. But I don't think you could have that. I don't, there's not enough guys producing. There's not enough guys that you should be confident in. Coach Terry's trying with guys like IT Horton and Brock Cunningham and stuff, but nah, it, it, it's not what he needs to be. And it's tough. This team is Well, a that's tough what I was going to say. For, I got two things. One is Bob Donawal Jr., who was in charge of the offense last year, that essential to the operation. He's now at Ole Miss. And, he was in charge of the offense last year. The offense was great. Obviously, he had six, you know, for five, six-year seniors. Um, the other thing is they have no bench. Like, if if they they got to get Shedrick healthy because, you know, now you're – you got, you know, Zedrick Anyema coming in, and he's going to give you some rebounds, some garbage putbacks. Mitchell's got to be better defensively. 
he's got to be better defensively. He's going to get you 10 rebounds. He's going to get you 10 points in garbage baskets, but he's got to be the glue guy defensively so that whether Shedrick's in there or not, he's the guy and it's not happening yet. And my God, your guards, if you count Brock Cunningham as a wing player, they've all lost their shot except for Max. Like it's frightening. Kendall Weaver was a decent shooter, decent last year at UT Arlington. Now he's not even making his free throws. And I always say free throw shooting is the sign of a confident team. If you're not making free throws, it makes me nervous. Like as a team, it makes me think you're not confident walking to the line as a team and they're not making free throws. West Virginia was worse at the free throw line. That was what's amazing. Texas was in that game with a chance with no Caden Shedrick, with Kendall Weaver, you know, hustling, but not, not, you don't want him shooting. You want him facilitating and feeding. And, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a. They were worse percentage wise, but the fact that they made more right. free throws for Texas right. even shot. That that just completely no, that's solid. negates that. Like that right. doesn't. They attack the basket, right? They attacked it. And Texas again, they have to. When you go small, which if you're Coach Terry, you're thinking, okay, I gotta get Brock out the game because Brock's clogging a lot of stuff up for Dylan Zasu and Dylan Mitchell. So you bring in Kendall Weaver. So now defensively, you're as small as I don't know what. And now they're overhelping for Tyrese Hunter and Max Aceman's because West Virginia, they weren't very skilled, but they were just bigger than those guys. Like Texas overall, they might be the smallest team in the Big 12. They really might. If you're looking at everybody, I'm not talking about just height. I'm talking about mass too. Like Dylan Mitchell, he's athletic and stuff, but he ain't no swole body dude. He's not, you know, he'll get his rebounds, but that's more of athleticism, not just like banging down low and getting physical. Like they have a serious problem. And I, I don't think it can be solved. I really don't because that's what I'm saying. Like Tyrese Hunter, he should be 35 minutes a night. No matter if he's playing good or bad, you got to let him roll. Like it's just the bench isn't good enough to – give him 22 minutes. I'm sorry. Like I, if he's playing bad, if him and coach Terry got into an argument in the locker room, I don't know. I'm speculating. I just, it doesn't make any sense not to play Tyrese Hunter over 30 minutes every single night, no matter how bad he's playing. Like it's just cause what him on the court, it's just going to give you more opportunities with him being aggressive than it is IT Horton or even Kendall Weaver. Like Kendall Weaver, he deserves 20 minutes, but you got to kind of spread that out with everybody. You know what I'm saying? Not just taking Tyrese Hunter out and subbing in Weaver for him. You know, it's it's a problem. Like Dylan Mitchell, half court, he's extinct. Like he's not, he's invisible. He is worthless in the half court offense game because he has no outside shot. So he's a we live guy. When you when every time he shoots it, the defense yells, we'll live. We'll take that. We're going to give him space. And now when he goes and sets these dribble handoff screens for Max Acemas, we're double teaming Acemas every time. Acemas had to take NBA threes just to get his 30-something. Like he's not taking good shots because he can't take good shots with the offense and the lack of production from the rest of his teammates. 
like Brock's not hitting outside shots. Mitchell's not hitting outside shots. So Dessou, he feels like he has to take more because if he drives, those guys, men are going to come to help and clog stuff up for him. Like it's just, there's no complimentary basketball with this team. Right. Zero. And there won't be. There won't be. That's what scares me. Like if Bob Donawald was that good and he, look, he, he is good. He coached the Chinese national team with Yao Ming. I mean, this dude has been in the NBA and Chris Beard took him back to Ole Miss. And, and it it's like, I'm worried guys are checking out. Like we've talked about how they don't look connected and guys are like Brock Cunningham, Mr. Hustle. Looks like he's losing confidence. Oh, he IT Horton. Now. Good God. IT Horton. He was supposed to be, I mean, Rodney Terry said he could be an elite shooter. That dude doesn't have any confidence. Zero. And you're playing him 18 minutes. You're playing a guy with zero confidence 18 minutes. Came off a screen, wide open, airballed that thing. Right then, you're done. You're done. Sorry. It is what it is. Like, I can't pat you on the back no more. You've had your chances. We got to go somewhere else. And I don't. he must be killing it in practice. That must be it. He must be killing it in practice. I don't know. But again, with this schedule after UCF, who just beat Kansas at home, you got six straight ranked opponent games. I uh, you could easily lose all of them. Ah! Sad. Right. It's sad. It's bringing the fellas. What up, fellas? What up, boys? How we doing? Computer's working. So I appreciate Zay the other day. You too. And Chip represent, man. I'm I'm proud of that city, man. Go from like what 67 on, you know better than me. Like what that city's been through with the industrial complex and the migration to the southwest and and everything. Almost like bankruptcy as a city. Dude, and then 08, it, it, they get hit again. Like, I mean, that city deserves it more than any other city in America. So I was happy for y'all, man. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. We'll let y'all get on with your, your, uh, you know, your show. Yeah. I'll see y'all <laughs> at 355. All right. See you, Zay.